and welcome to this edition of DMZ America. I'm Scott Stantis coming to you from the right. And coming to you from the left, I am Ted Rawl. We're two of America's best cartoonists. I think that's fair to say. Um, absolutely. You are the absolute best conservative political cartoonist and- who has ever lived and ever could live. <laughs> You're the best lefty cartoonist who ever wielded pen and ink. Thank you so much. Well, well deserved. Well deserved. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> As is yours. Oh my God! Okay. This is probably what it sounds like to be on a, on the Pulitzer Prize Awards Committee. You know, you're That's amazing. No, no, no. You're amazing. <laughs> you know, like it's almost like you're me. <laughs> you're that amazing. <laughs> the Pulitzer's please. Oh God. The Pulitzers. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, I mean, anyway. there's some guy digging ditches somewhere in America who's going to win that for cartooning this year. So, um, you know. God oh, knows. that's true. That is true. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, inside little inside baseball, right? Like not everyone realizes yeah, sorry. that for several years, uh, in recent years, um, several non-cartoonists have actually won the editorial cartooning Pulitzer Prize. While many actual cartoonists have never and never will win it. Yeah, it's the weirdest thing. And it's just, well, okay, we can, that's a, you're right. It's inside baseball. Let's talk about real baseball or not baseball, sort of baseball, not baseball. What, where am I going with this, Ted? <laughs> I don't know, man. This has got to be like just absolutely the slowest out of the gate. Ever since like, a, 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 like, a, like a horse like fell down and broke its leg. Like, in the fall the just had a heart and... attack and went thug. <laughs> Okay, so the um, it's not the Build Back Better. We were talking about this before we started recording. It's the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, <laughs> the one point one and a half trillion dollars, one point two trillion dollars. Oh, it went down to one point two. Well, uh-huh. now that's much more reasonable. <laughs> that pa- that passed on Friday. Yes, um, which is what you, which you know, that's big. That's very big for the Biden. He was giddy. Did you see that? He was actually giddy. Really? I mean, uh, President you know, Biden. That, was the, I have not seen that. Uh, I didn't know that he had the giddiness was part of his repertoire. Yes, uh, it is. Gittitude. What did he say when they passed the Affordable Air? Remember, he leaned into uh, President Obama when at the sign and said, this is fucking huge. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, it, that's so it, 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 it wasn't fucking huge. It was sort of half fucking huge, which is part of the problem. So. Yeah. So, yeah. So now listen. So here's the thing that's interesting um, about this uh, this infrastructure bill. First of all, let's let's talk about like what's in it and like very quickly. OK, just so the folks at home know, one hundred ten billion dollars are going to go for roads and bridges. Thirty nine billion dollars go for mass transit, modernization and rail. Uh, broadband is going to be going out into more rural areas, which I think is good news. That's a hundred yes, billion. That's, that's huge. That needed to happen. Uh, Seventeen billion dollars go to port infrastructure and twenty-five billion dollars to airports. Um, Seven point five billion dollars to uh, for electric vehicles to put charging stations in more places. So uh, you know, uh, I guess uh, uh, what's his name from Tesla is going to be happy about that. Elon Musk. Uh, $65 billion to rebuild the electric grid, which, um, you know, actually has been desperately needed. Yes. Um, yes. $21 billion to clean up Superfund sites and uh, other environmental cleanups. I mean, obviously hard to argue with any of that. And it's all supposed to be paid for 
by a series of tax increases uh, on billionaires and corporations. According to the Congressional Budget Office, um, it's going to not really pay for itself. Uh, they're guesstimating that about 250 billion dollars uh, will will be added to the deficit as a result. And Democrats are promising that the other bill, the one that didn't pass on Friday, the better the Build Back Better social spending bill, uh, that bill is supposed to be beyond revenue neutral, it's supposed to be revenue positive, and it's supposed to make up for the shortfall in this infrastructure oh, bill. Oh, horse, horse crap. Horse. Will, yeah, the, C, the, uh, the, the, whole, the CBO is, uh, discussing, is, about, is calculating that now to see if that's true. It certainly would be, I think, surprising, uh, not just to you, but also to me, um, if that turned out to be the case. The, the, where the five, there are five key Democratic House members who are necessary moderates who say they will only sign off on the uh, Build Back Better in the event that the CBO comes back and says that the whole thing is revenue neutral or better. You don't, uh, it's so not that means That's where the whole thing could burn up. Uh, it's going to burn up. It's dead. It's gone. It's not going to pass, Ted. This just but, simply but isn't Let's talk about infrastructure first. I think it's really important to, I mean, first of all, I was completely mystified by the fact that they did this on a Friday. Yeah, um, wasn't that weird? It was sort of like it was almost like a news dump, right? I mean, it was it's weird. like a news dump. But this is like this. They, this was the big win that Biden said that he needed. He told his own caucus privately that this was uh, that his entire presidency and the fate of the Democratic House and Senate majority hinge in next year on getting this done. And you pass it on a Friday. No, it was very strange. And I mean, I'm assuming this coming week is going to be the big signing. He's going to be in front of a bridge or something and sign sure. Bill with many, with all the luminaries behind him. But the big um, news is the pass is the news, the announcement that it's going to pass and that's been passed. That's the news. That's like the thing people pay attention to. That's the thing that made the splash. The signing ceremony will get covered, but it's not going to make the same impact. I mean, I don't understand why they didn't just do this on Monday. And I also think it's got, it's got, it came so late in his term. I know it seems weird because he's only been president for a year, a little over a year. The problem is, you know, he hasn't even been president for a year, Scott. He has not remember, been a year yet. No, it's like, <laughs> it feels we're like in no, we're in no, no <laughs> it's only been nine months. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, but the the you know the curve of this stuff and, the, and how this goes is that once the infrastructure spending is in place each state's going to decide you know we need to build this fix that bridge do this build the elementary school scott stance elementary school here here in alabama long overdue long overdue um but the the so there's a lot a lag time it's not going to help them in the midterms it's just not it can't there's no way i can see this helping them because it's still abstract, right? Every American says, oh, we, they passed this thing. I don't know what it means. I guess the roads are going to be less potholy or something. But until they see actual practical results and jobs and all that stuff, by the way, it's going to take a long you. time. It's true. Remember, like this reminds me that you, you know, I just suddenly had a flashback while you were talking about that to shovel ready. Remember that? Like when uh, Obama's a stimulus plan for, and it was the the thing is like you know he passed it early on in two thousand nine after he became president, but nobody, everyone was kind of like, uh, how come I don't see you know any potholes being filled or any new roads in my community, and it was like and they were all like looking around for quote unquote shovel ready projects. It takes a long time for this federal money to trickle down 
to state local departments of transportation and turn into new bridges and roads and right. you know charging stations and all this stuff. I it's think definitely that- too late. It's both too early and it's too late. I mean, you'd almost want to have passed it like in let's say August or September. Yeah, no, the first hundred, you know, the, the first hundred days stuff, right? Just blast yeah. it. You had the majorities, just just ram it through. Yeah, that that's the way. Because you don't, you also don't know. I mean, you, when you have a 50-50 Senate, as we both know, um, remember what happened to Paul Wellstone, man? He got into the wrong little plane and everything changed. I mean, they have a 50-50 Senate. They're, you know, they're one, they're one, you know, cardiac arrest away from a Republican majority. No audio asphyxiation act problem. <laughs> yeah. Senator Michael Hutchins. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Senator Manchin, why do you have that clothes bag on your head? <laughs> anyway, um hey, what what happens what happens in in, in wheeling stays in wheeling <laughs> as well it should. So okay, you wrote about this for the uh Wall Street Journal. Um it's for yeah, it's uh, waiting to see if uh, I'm I'm in negotiations with my editor to see if the rough Oh, okay, so we can't talk about it. Go through. Oh, we can talk about it. We whatever. can tease it. I sub, I cuz I sub, you know, what I my my shtick is if I write something that the journal seems interested in, I write it. And if things don't work out in the uh, editing process, my equivalent of Chuck Schumer shoots it down. And then I, I usually use it in syndication. Oh, okay. So we can see that. So your your thoughts, I mean, deep, so going deeper into not just the um, Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, but also your take is that the Build Back Better has to pass. Well, it it's not, it's funny because I guess you read it the same way that my editor read it, which means obviously I wrote it wrong because that's not really what I meant to say. Oh. What I really mean is I don't think it's going to happen. And it's more like a prediction. It's like a, it's a harbinger. Like uh, I think if Build Back Better doesn't pass in to a significant extent, it's not like they have to pass the whole thing. Hell, it's too late for that. They started out at 3.5 trillion. Now they're down to 1.75 but the point is, if they don't have something big to show for it, um, the progressives are going to walk. And here's what I'm saying. I mean, progressives are pissed off. There's a fragile coalition in the Democratic Party between the corporate centrists, who are the minority of the party, but control the DNC and all the party apparatus and most of the seats in Congress. And then there's the progressive wing, um, which in, I'm really talking about the voters here, not really what they, what's called the progressive congressional caucus, because if you really scratch the surface of 100 so-called members of the House congressional, the congressional progressive caucus, they're not like what people like me would call a real progressive. But Anyway, those those people, the 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 voters, they got screwed by what the DNC did to Bernie Sanders in 2016, and it was a repeat in 2020. Uh, and they were the the same progressives were blamed in 2016 after being told, "We don't need you. Don't vote for Hillary. Stay home." So we did, and then they blamed us for Donald Trump being elected. Um, so progressives have been really angry and they've been flexing their muscles in the last four or five years. Uh, many of them actually even voted for Donald Trump in 2016 because they were so angry. And now uh, you've got a situation where, uh, you know, the, this this coalition could go away forever or at least for the foreseeable future. I mean, Nancy Pelosi cut a deal. And Joe Biden personally interceded and told the progressives, listen, I know you've been holding the infrastructure bill hostage for months. 
pending the uh, agreement of Joe Manchin and Kirsten, Kristen Sinema, and of course, um, some members of the House to uh, to support the social spending bill, Build Back, big build back Better. Um, and so it's like, well, now we're asking you to go ahead and sign off and give us your votes for the, for the uh, infrastructure bill. But don't worry, we've got your back. We won't screw you. We will pass Build Back Better. You know, you, Scott, you and I can see where this is going. I mean, <laughs> I think progressives, have, they're wondering if they got rolled. It sure feels like it to me. Well, and I think, too, that the corporatists, let's not call them centrists because they're not, um, but corporatists, no, not. too. I mean, both sides um, and and people who were anti-Trump uh, more than anything else. A friend of mine had a great analysis. He had a great line about the 2020 election. He said Donald Trump ran unopposed and he lost. I That's true. To an extent, Biden ran as a centrist kind of, you know, like a soft center Democrat. He's not ruling that way. So there's a lot of people who voted for him who are going, wait a minute, who's this guy? And why are we getting, you know, this, this, yeah. you know. No, that's true. He didn't, can't, he did not campaign on these progressive bills. No, he did all. not. And so there's a lot of people who are really pissed off. Um, coming up in another, our, another segment, we're going to talk about the politics of Virginia and where the Democrats are and where the progressives are. But you talk about... Do you really think that a failure to not to pass a, um, you know, the Build Back Better bill will, that's going to alienate progressives that much? Because Ted, let's be honest, they don't friggin' vote. Well, there's that, but there, look, I mean, by some accounts, progressives account for as much as seven out of ten Democratic voters. Even if that's wildly overstated, um, you're still talking about, let's just say, let's just say forty percent uh, to be conservative of back of the envelope of Democratic voters are real progressives. I mean, what I'm, I'm getting at here, it's not the fail, failure to deliver the bill. It's the feeling that it's a cheat. It's like, look, mm. vote for, vote. For, we, it's like, all of this is tied together. We're going to do it all together. We have this big bill, social spending and infrastructure all together. They were calling it human infrastructure at the beginning of this process. Then, no, 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 well, we can't really, they couldn't pass that all at the same time. So they separated it into two bills. And progressives are all like, what do you mean it's two bills? Like, well, let us pass our bill first and we'll get to your bill later. And progressives were like, no, 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 no. Where you do it all at the same time, both of them at the same time, or you don't do it at all. And progressives have held that line until last Friday. And now the progressives are kind of like, okay, okay, yes, Mr. President, and we'll vote for it. But you have to promise us that you're going to, that you're going to give us our thing. And he's like, don't worry. The issue here is Biden told, I mean, there's, there's a money quote that I is, uh, and you see this in, from several other congressmen, where progressives said, look, at some point, we have to trust each other. Progressives are deciding again, like Charlie Brown going to kick the football out of Lucy's hands <laughs> to trust the same centrist, the same corporatists, the same moderates who fucked them over many times before. So if it's one more fuck over, I think that's the issue here. It's not really about the bill itself. It's about the symbolism. It's like, look, you sandbagged our Bernie Sanders got, you know, in two elections that he should have won, the DNC interfered and put its thumb on the scale. Now you're, you know, we we got Bernie Sanders, ironically, is more powerful than ever and is able to get much of his agenda uh, proposed on the floor of the Senate. And now we want it. And you've promised us that we're going to see a big part of it. 
Now, if we don't get it, it means that you lied to us again. You fooled us again. And, you know, it's kind of like, fool me 640 times, (laughs) shame on you. Fool me 641 times, shame on me. Yeah, but I mean, where are the progressives going to go? I mean, that's the, that's the other issue. We, well, that's, what, that's about what the centrists always ask. Well, yeah, but and it's a really legitimate question because there's no place to go. I guess you could vote green and be, you know. Yeah, you can vote green, you can vote socialist, or more likely with the millennial crowd, they just won't vote at all. They'll be, that's what they did in, uh, in back in, uh, you know, in, in 2016. I mean, just think about this, Scott, between three and four million people who voted for Bernie Sanders in the primaries didn't show up for Hillary. That's a big number because primary voters are militant. They're fanatics. They're like people like us. They're crazy political people. (laughs) And then, so if there's 3 million, let's just say 3 million Bernie voters who who did show up at the, but think about like about the 15 million would have been Bernie voters in the general election. Who didn't wouldn't have voted in the primaries? They're too lazy to get off the sofa to go vote. Progressives don't vote, as you say, but like they didn't go either. Right. So no. it's the tip of the iceberg. I mean, those are when you see three to five, four million militant voters stay home. Then that how many like swing voters, casual voters who only vote in the general? You know, it's like people. It's like it's like it's like churchgoers who only show up on Sunday. Okay, whatever. But like. When someone stops going to church who used to go twice a day stops going, that's really serious. Hey, we're back here on the DMZ America podcast. I'm Scott Stannis coming to you from the right. And I'm Ted Rall, (laughs) coming to you slowly from the left, as usual. He was looking something up. Okay, so the last segment we dovetails into what we're going to talk about this segment. That's what the fuck is wrong with the Democrats. Um, let's look at the numbers. <laughs> registered of registered voters, Democrats outnumber Republicans three to one. I mean, it's insane how big, and yet they can't win an election at all. I mean, Virginia being the latest example, although there's... Well, they did win an election in... They did win an election last year. Well, barely 2020. Like I said earlier, you know, a friend of ours, uh, Charles Lipson, who's the uh, great political science uh, professor and writer and commentator for Real Clear Politics, has said that in 2020, Donald Trump ran unopposed and he lost. Uh, (laughs) I think that's pretty accurate, but you're right. They did. Okay, so they won the presidency. They won the House. They won the Senate. Barely by the skin of their teeth. Um, but the fact is, I mean, they should be. Why aren't they miles ahead? We're talking about the progressives and how they're being mistreated by the party. I contend that there's no middle at all anymore. You know, all this, you know, uh, James Carville described the t- 1992 election when uh, Bill Clinton defeated then President George H.W. Bush and said, We didn't break down the door, we picked the lock. There's no lock anymore. There's no fucking door anymore, Ted. I mean, it's all. It's Trump, for better or for worse, has redefined the politics of this country forever, at least for a generation. For the foreseeable future, for sure. Yeah, yeah there is no squishy middle ground because they the squishy middle ground doesn't vote. How do they? How do Republicans get voters out and stimulate them? They scare the shit out of them. Yeah, I, mean, I was watching Fox News with my mother in law the other day. Holy Mary, I didn't watch it in a while, Ted. Have you seen it lately? Oh, I watch it every day. 
I watch all, the, all three networks every day. The headlines were, uh, it was covering the, um, you know, you had another caravan heading towards the border and it says, from the border to your living room. <laughs> it, was the, it was the headline. It was just like, well, I've looked around my living room and I can't seem to find any illegal aliens um, and documented workers. I was just, I'm sorry. It was, uh, it was just like. It certainly explains how uh, some people are finding handymen more easily than I am. Are um, you having trouble? Uh, kind of, yeah, sometimes. My point is, you know, it's like Fox News has, has decided, and they're right, that to, to scare the living crap out of, especially old people, mm-hmm. who, who who historically vote anyway. And so you have here's and that's the their and that's their viewership. You can always tell from the ads, you know, a lot of ads for, you know, it's a gro- it's not a going problem, it's a growing problem. <laughs> I'm a little rascal and my little rascal. <laughs> yeah, I love that line. Um, so I mean, so so the Democrats can't seem to do the same thing. They can't seem to give any urgency to their agenda. I couldn't tell you what their agenda is. Well, I think that's the issue. I mean, look, Democrats have been well aware of their framing problems for the better part of a generation. And, you know, um, the last president who was able to frame things um, cogently was probably Bill Clinton under the tutelage of Dick Morris, right? The toe-sucking Democrat turned Republican political uh, advisor, who was actually kind of a mad genius. And his books are kind of uh, really worth reading if you're... um, really. Yeah, yeah, no, he's 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 a smart dude. Um, uh, like a lot of wacky, a lot of smart people are wacky. Uh, but he, um, you know, I, I think I think Clinton was. You sort of knew what Bill Clinton stood for. A lot of kind of small things. It was tonal. Um, the problem is that there hasn't been. You could either run as a tone candidate, or you can run as a policy candidate, or you can run as both, like FDR did. And Democrats are kind of not doing either. They're mainly running as oppositional candidates. Like, and they have been for, this has frustrated me to no end, for many years, they're, they're just defining themselves as not Republicans. I mean, that's how Joe Biden won. I'm not Trump. Uh, you know, things will be calm under me. You won't have a crazy Twitter feed. Uh, you know, you won't have to, uh, you, you know, we won't have uh, all this racist, uh, you know, dog whistling, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, look, you could say it worked, but the caution, the caution here is that Donald, you know, sure, Joe Biden won by a sizable amount, but Donald Trump's got more votes in 2020 than he did in 2016. Yeah. In fact, if he got more votes, if he hadn't lost to Biden, let's just say that his voter, his voter total was higher than any presidential candidate had ever received, uh, including since, you know, Hillary Clinton the year before, uh, four years earlier, because he lost the popular vote, but won the the, the electoral college. So he is definitely a, um, yeah, no, I mean, it's, I think the Democrats uh, don't really stand for anything other than protecting the gains that have occurred in the past. And these days, um, they're, they've really staked a big claim on woke social engineering why? stuff and a lot of people think that's what turned flipped virginia right like against terry mcauliffe well i think uh, mcauliffe well there's there's always although one there those, were other problems with terry mcauliffe yeah terry mcauliffe was not a beloved governor he's not a beloved guy he reminds me a lot of uh, uh the mayor i had to deal with rahm emanuel in chicago he's just sort of like he's a dick he's, he's, he's already he's also a party hack insider yeah. big he's a fixer he's a machine he's a party boss you know he dina mcauliffe uh gave the money to the Clintons to buy their house in Chappaqua, New York, in Westchester County. 
personally. You no, know, I don't have anyone offering me money to buy a mansion. You should. What am I Everyone doing wrong, Ted? I, I know. I, I keep asking my cat, but he just looks at me and meows. <laughs> you um, mentioned Dick Morris. I just got to go back and remember. He, do you remember? I mean, his downfall was that he called President Clinton to impress a prostitute. Yes. Can't you just That's hand right. a prostitute like a 20 or a 50 and say, be impressed by me? I mean, why do you have to call the president? <laughs> well, you know, it's really funny. And you can look this up. Oh, Someone God. found what? out that at some point while he was calling, well, while Morris was uh, keeping, uh, had a, was entertaining his lady caller, uh, he, <laughs> Bill was with Monica Lewinsky. So they were both on the phone with uh, with with their ladies who were you know their side ladies, and instead of you know at Can the same be, time I mean, unbeknownst to each other, you know, kind of funny. pretty much born married. But I mean, you know, I, I just can't imagine going out with someone you're getting amorous and you're going. Let me make a call. <laughs> well, that's keep doing what you're doing, but. Let, let. No, I are you kidding, Scott? I can totally imagine that. Like, imagine, like, really. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't do it, but imagine, I can totally imagine like trying to impress someone being like, you know, like, oh, you know, you know, I'm friends with Mick Jagger. Here, let me call him up. And it's like, hello, Ted, how are you? I don't even know what it is. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> like, like cro- is that Crocodile Dundee? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> okay, well, I'm really during the, okay. I'm, just seems I mean, you know what we're, this is what sounds during the you know what it sounds like there's a lot of downtime during you know when you're hanging out right I it mean, just sounds rude it's like, well, you be- that's interesting i mean I, I hadn't the 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 politeness aspect hadn't occurred to me look we should also talk about like look virginia <laughs> i mean we look the, the, also the, and there's another thing about we, we should talk about new jersey too we would be remiss if we yeah please because it. you live in that area you can and we should also, but but I was going to say a thing about Terry McAuliffe that I I haven't seen anyone talk about. I wanted to know what your take was, Scott. Um, so I checked this out. Virginia apparently has term limits for its governor baked into its constitution, going back to its to the colonial era. It wow. goes back to 1776, and basically uh, until 1830, you could run for uh, three consecutive one year terms. Then. After 1830, it was reformed to you could run for one four-year term. No one ever tried to do what McAuliffe did, which was to sit out one term and then run again and and and, and represent himself and test the Constitution that way. So I guess here's a question for you. I mean, I'm a big terms limits guy. I love them. And I, it seems like they're really baked into the cult, political culture of the Commonwealth of Virginia Going all the way back, it seems to be very bipartisan. The state legislature has never uh, seriously contemplated getting rid of them. Oh, wow. um, so it seems to me like, may, I mean, look, in a race that was decided by two percentage points, is it really a lot to think that, say, 1.5% or more of Virginians might have been partly swayed by the, not this asshole again, we already had him. Can you have a new asshole, please? Yeah, no, I think there's no question. Reminds me of what happened in California, a different result, of course. Jerry Brown was the youngest governor in the state's history and then goes off and does whatever Jerry Brown does when he's not governor and then runs again and becomes the oldest governor of California. Um, kind he was of a pretty successful old governor of California. Well, he got elected. I'm not sure if he was successful. I mean, I think he, he have... was. I think he, I think people were pretty pleased. Californians were pretty happy, relatively happy. 
I, as far as Californians can ever be happy with their governor, I think I, they were. I think they were. Um, uh, yeah, they didn't try to recall him, so you had that. Um, but you also had, like, for the first time in the state's history, I think this is a remarkable story nobody covered. Um, but for the first time in the history of California, since it became a state, it actually lost population. That was under That's, Brown? Well, it was under Brown. Yeah, the, the exodus began there because the, 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 the taxes are so onerous. And it's just a it's very it's hard. to. Well, what didn't did, didn't which taxes exactly? Because property taxes, of course, went way down under Proposition 13. But they've been the whittled 1970s. away. They've tried after the uh, yeah, after uh, Jarvis amendment, Jarvis amendment uh, passed and they cut Proposition 13. They significantly cut. My grandparents lived in uh, North Hollywood, which is kind of a dumpy, horrible part of the valley. And uh, they were going to lose their modest house because the property taxes had gotten so onerous. They paid that house off years before them, but the property taxes got overwhelming. Prop 13 comes, they cut them significantly. Uh, and But then over the last, you know, this was in the 80s. Uh, since then, the last 50 years, 40 years, it's been chipped away. In fact, they've been trying to put up and to rescind Proposition 13 or and to, to do I mean, end rounds. I, I lived in California a bit. I mean, it seemed to me like it was general expenses overall, particularly housing, that was just brutal. Well, and I if mean, you have property taxes pegged to the cost of real estate, right. you know. Um, I mean, it's, it's really, I mean, for a long time, I would say until maybe 20 years ago, rents were not horrible compared to, say, New York in L.A. or in San Francisco. Now, of course, because of tech, it's crazy. It's it crazy. used to be that you yeah. couldn't afford to buy, but you could rent. And now you can't do either. And the inventory of uh, available housing has cut back significantly for pe- for demand. So people are renting more. And so that drives rents up, 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 up. Oh, Airbnb also is driving up rents too. Yeah, I bet it is. I bet it is. So going back to Virginia and what happened there and the term limits and so on, you and I actually agree. I, I, we, I a couple of years ago, I would say probably I was against term limits, but now I yeah we talked about this. I remember that you were and I've seen you didn't like you didn't like them. Well, because you thought it was depriving the voters of choice, the exactly. freedom to vote for whoever they wanted. You had term limits; they were called elections. Well, the problem there is that now with this precise surgical uh, remapping and uh, of districts, coupled with money in politics, uh, you just don't have money in politics under capitalism. Yeah, I know. How is this possible? I don't know, Ted, but somehow, <laughs> some way, it has whittled its, it's, it's, wielded its ugly head. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, all those factors mean that you, know, you get incumbents who are ensconced forever, and, they're, and that's dangerous. And then they say, but if you get rid of it, the people who are still there, the bureaucrats, the uh, lobbyists, will run the country. Oh, really? Like they're not fucking what a change. now? Really? Come on. Good. Well, Lord. I mean... And- yeah, and that's obviously something that it would be great to do something about. Um, look, I just think it's like we should new blood is always welcome. I just think that the you know the other thing about McAuliffe is you know uh, there's a question. You know, Virginia is a pretty diverse state racially. It's getting younger. You know, he he may have just been like the old in the old white guy, sixty three years old, not the right guy for that Virginians wanted at that time. Um, and also, but also. Youngkin ran a, a really smart campaign, right? Oh, he, yes. he he was able yes. to to thread that needle, not offend, keep Donald Trump at arm's length without uh, without causing him offense. Uh, you know, allowing him, for example, to call into a rally, but he didn't attend the rally. Um, that kind of thing. So, tell me about New Jersey. You live up in that area. Um, tell, well, what, what the hell happened there? See, I think it's interesting. New Jersey is a more 
because it's not well, getting tell, much let's coverage. Let's tell the people exactly what happened. You know. So what happened is that uh, incumbent Democrat Phil Murphy, who is very popular, uh, very nearly lost to uh, and was at one point in the vote count uh, just a thousand votes away from uh, losing to ja- from to Jack Chiati. Uh, who, uh, sorry, um, his name is like impossible for me to pronounce. I'm going to try to do this again. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. Anyway, the Republican, uh, Jack, uh, all Italian people are going to hate me. Chia Torelli. Jack Chia Torelli. You have to say um, it like you're angry. Try again. Like you're angry. There uh, so, so he's, so anyway, so currently, actually, I don't know what's up in New Jersey, exactly how slow, you know, how corruption makes uh, the vote counts so slow, but uh, currently there's only 90% of the vote what? in New Jersey. It's, it's true. You Did can it end it up, up in the lake or in a river somewhere. Or? Could be in the bottom of the Passaic River, along with several members of with Pussy Soprano. Um, 50.9% of the vote currently uh, in the bag for Phil Murphy, uh, 483 uh, for Jack Chiatarelli. And um, but that was really close. Look, a popular here's the thing about New Jersey, it is definitely a swing state, it's a classic swing state. Um, you know, let's not forget Chris Christie was the governor of that state. It's not like Republicans are unheard of there. Um, he did, of course, really ruin things for them for, for Republicans when Christie left. He had a Bob approval rating of wait for it 10 percent, which I think is about the same as for uh syphilis. Um, and, um, uh, although I'm going to say Chris Christie is, is definitely the best thing about, uh, the Stephanopoulos Sunday morning show. He's the, uh, really the only reason to watch it. Uh, but anyway, the point is that in, it's a swing state, but Murphy was a, by all accounts, a competent, well-liked, uh, hardworking governor, um, and, uh, respected. So it's a, it is absolutely, and Jack Ciaccarelli is a nobody. And the fact that he was able to come this close really should send shockwaves through the Democratic establishment in a way more than Virginia, because uh, he was, you know, it's kind of like here in New York, uh, you know, mayor, uh, outgoing mayor Bill de Blasio uh, is despised, you know, if he ran for governor, which he's talking about doing next year, he's going to get destroyed. Uh, That wouldn't be that won't be surprising. But he could lose to a Republican if, if in the unlikely event he became the nominee. Phil Murphy, like, that should have been a very safe seat, and it just wasn't. So what happened in New York City, by the way? Real quickly, we had, um, you know, uh, in the runoff. Eric I Adams. Yes, Eric, Eric Adams, Adams, the the Democrat, uh, defeated uh, uh, Curtis Slewa 75 to 25, I believe, is the yeah, final what, analysis. I mean, how? I mean, I thought Slewa would be a much more viable candidate. So did you for a while. Well, Curtis Sliwa ran uh, an absolutely atrocious campaign. Um, he and adding to that, he also ha- uh, was treated like dog shit by the by the media. Um, mm. The New York Post, which would have been his natural ally, uh, sort of paid attention to him, but never really gave him the love because he had the stink of death all over him and you know the, everyone knew he was going to lose so the the post wasn't going to go in deep in terms of with its support mm. and the news and the times uh acted as basically as if he didn't exist i mean as soon as eric adams locked up the primaries last summer uh it has been basically <laughs> eric adams has been measuring the drapes at gracie mansion ever since 
Um, there's Sliwa was just ignored, viewed as a clown, treated accordingly, and unfortunately played into that narrative way too many times also. Well, he always never took off the beret, which looked ridiculous. I'm sorry. I don't want my mayor to wear, you know. Ah. <laughs> to look like Che Guevara? Che Guevara, or he's like in some kind of weird Boy Scout cult. <laughs> uh, it was just sort of weird. Hey, we'll be back. We're going to take a quick break. And then we're going to wrap things up. Uh, I'm Scott Standis with Ted Law. This is the Welcome back to more DMZ America podcast. I'm Scott Standis. And I'm Ted Roll. <laughs> with a very high voice for no reason. I'm going to talk don't like me, this. Don't make me use my falsetto. Does that actually scare your child when you do this? No, but it makes my makes my cat's eyes fall out. So that's, <laughs> nothing scares my child. No, no, no. He's pretty. I, w- I wish it, I've tried. Yeah, yeah. You did nothing. Will trust me when I tell you this. So vax mandates. We've got this whole thing. We've got uh, NFL quarterback Aaron Rodgers. Did you see the interview with him, by the way? I mean, I know you're not a sports fan, but why he didn't do it. And he was on some Rogan's uh, podcast and he. No, was, I didn't. What why, What was the answer to that? Question? Well, he was just carping the entire libertarian slash, you know, uh, neocon reasons not to do it. Uh, bodily autonomy, which I agree with, by the way. So do um, I. And that, you know, but basically I think- it comes down to I don't want to. I mean. The question well, is, why doesn't he want to? That's what I'm more interested in. Well, that's the point is that he was car- like, said, carping all these things. I think professional athletes, if, you ever, if you've ever hung out with one, it's, it's a weird experience because they are so in tune with their body. And that's their, obviously their livelihood. Yeah. Um, there was a, a, a hockey player for the, uh, for, for the Chicago Blackhawks would come on WGN radio when I would get guest on, those, on that station. And he'd come with some jug of like weird colored stuff that he would be drinking. And it's like some protein, uric acid balancing bullshit. I don't know what the hell it was, but they are so in tune with their bodies. I can see not wanting to take a vaccine that frankly, still very new. Or that you don't understand or whatever. Yeah. I think more, more to the point, don't understand. So, but now you've got uh, the federal uh, deadline is what tomorrow, uh, Monday. Yeah, federal workers have to be uh, vaccinated, I believe, at least with the first shot uh, by Monday. Okay, I'm uh, otherwise, they go. They end up being placed on non-paid leave for, uh, I think, eight weeks. And if they still haven't gotten vaccinated by the end of that period, then they're to be terminated. Okay, I'm going to go off on a tangent, which I know that you agree with. But uh, TSA agents, apparently almost a third of them are not are not vaxxed right which <laughs> like, like why would they not want to be vaxxed well there's that but because most of them are like okay i'm gonna sound I mean, like they're in a, contact with the public i mean because they're assholes because I imagine a lot of them are probably guys who are too dumb are too slow too fat too stupid to become cops but you can sort of be one if you're a tsa agent and if you've gone through and if you travel, I mean, how hard can it be to hand, I handed my driver's license or my passport and the, the job seems to consist of them saying exactly this. Uh. <laughs> Don't ever forget the time that, you know, so my, as you know, my, my legal name is I, I'm a, I'm a third, uh, you know, I am Frederick Rawl the third. Mm-hmm. And whenever I get on the plane, uh, they, they're like, 
have a nice flight, Mr. Well, the TSA guys like have a nice flight, Mr. Mr. Raleigh. <laughs> <laughs> I've never. <laughs> and my son's the fourth, so literally it's like Raleigh and Raliv. Raliv. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My and these only- are the these are the front lines on the war on terror, keeping us safe from the militants of Al Qaeda. I think. Frankly, we could just send them all home. I don't think it would make any difference. We could go back no. to the old days where we can walk our, our loved ones to the gate. Uh, really, nothing would change. Nothing. It would not matter. What, By the way, what's stopping someone from going in and blowing up the ticket counter or shooting up the area, the, the passport control? Or for that matter, if I go in there with like an AR-15, you think that those like guys with their blue gloves are going to stop me? Really? Yeah. No, it's absurd. And by the way, what was the nicest thing about getting off an airplane years ago before 9-11? How great was it you got off an airplane if a loved one was there waiting for you? The best. It the really best. was. Or even if it wasn't, even if you were on business, but you're, let's say your driver who's been sent out there, the whole little sign that says Stantis, oh, you're, right. happy to, you're happy to see him, you know? Yeah, it's just like, oh, someone's glad I'm here in, in Toledo. Right. Yeah, no, no, it's a it's a nice thing. I mean, I, I think we could go back there. But I mean, look, Scott, I think here's the thing. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about religious mandates because I did uh, religious exemptions because I did a okay. cartoon about this, uh, which you might remember from a few weeks ago. And here's the thing. I don't understand. OK, we can talk all day long about the, the fact that people who can should get vaccinated. And I agree with that. But what about the exemptions? I mean, look, you're not going to like this because you're a religious man, but yes. God isn't real. And since God isn't real, religions aren't real and they're fake, they're fictional belief systems. And let's, even if you believe that your religious system is correct, by definition, all the other ones are not. So, so, so like, so therefore, um, how, why are people who believe in science? Uh, giving religious exemptions for people really for anything like why are we giving for i don't you know vaccines for anything like oh i mean and parenthetically the only religion i think that actually tells people that they're not allowed to get vaccinated is christian science um as far i i did a a, yeah does jehovah witnesses i'm not sure no jehovah's witnesses are allowed to get vaccinated it's up to them so So there's no doctrinal reason, and there's not that many Christian scientists, really. Yes. So, so I mean, but I mean, even for them, it's like, well, Christian science isn't true, and since it's not, and since we're telling people follow science, you know, this is a secular country. Why? I mean, I, I, I mean it. I mean, we're literally giving. Let's just say, for the sake of argument, that like a major religion. Let's just say Pope. Francis falls off his rocker, bonks his head, and decides to tell every all Catholics around the world that they shouldn't get vaccinated. And suddenly, hundreds of millions of people are not supposed to get vaccinated, according to their religion. Should governments say, yeah, well, what can you do? We're never going to get to herd immunity. A major religion is against it. I mean, we shouldn't, I don't see the case, the science, I don't see how science is compatible 
with religious exemptions for vaccinations? I don't know exactly how to answer that. I mean, I am religious. And if the Pope does tell us not to eat meat on Friday, which, you know, there's that. So there are some 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 constraints in some direction. True, uh, but that doesn't hurt. But that you're not eating meat on, on Friday doesn't hurt anyone except the uh, American beef growers lobby. And, uh, and the pork people. Right. And the, and the, and the, the undersung lamb lobby. <laughs> so, I mean, but I do think that there's a middle ground. You can have religious, there are some small segments of, of religious people who say you can't do this, but it's not, a, it's not, it really comes down to, and how this got politicized again, this comes back to, we're walking right back to the start of this podcast, Ted. I mean, it's the politicization of, Science. It's the politicization of, I mean, we eradic- virtually eradicated polio. We virtually eradicated smallpox. It was considered some of the greatest achievements in our species history. And yet now, you know, we have this thing that can eradicate or significantly cut back on coronavirus. Uh, they've been working on actually coronavirus vaccines for decades. They finally came one that looks like it's fairly effective. And we're like, oh, no, my politics say I can't. I don't want to do that. Sheeple, I'm not going to do that. You know, get the whatever your rationale is. It's absurd. Um, uh, we have come to a point. You you were a debater in high school, weren't you, Tanner? I was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember attitudinal inherency. Do you remember that phrase? No. It was it was used by people. Attitudinal inherency, all it means is that you, you can change laws, but you can't change attitudes. It's things like, uh, especially if you're arguing like a civil libertarian issue, um, you can have civil rights legislation, but it doesn't mean you're going to make people less racist. You know, you still have to fight that. Fight. You know, that, that's still a major component of the culture. What we have now is an attitudinal inherency of stupidity. You know, I choose this is real because I wish it to be real. How many conservatives have you had or talked to Republicans who genuinely believe, what is it, 40, 50 percent of Republicans believe that the election was stolen in 2020? I mean, it's in, there's no evidence, zero, zilch, nada, no evidence to, to indicate that that actually That is true. There is no evidence to support that. But I think, you know, it is it is important to note that elections in American history have been stolen and not just once or twice, uh, national ones, right? Um, you know, well, 1960. Sort of legally, 1960, arguably, um, certainly a lot of people believed that uh, cemeteries in um, Illinois voted for um, for Particularly Jack Cook County, there were more people, was it 10,000 more people voted? Many Cook Democrats believe that Bush v. Gore was a, you know, was a, was a uh, judicial coup d'etat. Uh, of course, uh, Rutherford B. Hayes versus Samuel Tilden, 1876. That's no question a stolen election. No doubt yeah. about it. And then arguably every time, um, and it's happened, what, five or six times where uh, the winner of the Electoral College was the, lo- was the loser of the popular vote. And, you know, you can see why people would consider those to be stolen elections. Albeit- would you get rid of, I mean, this is a side issue. I'm sorry, we're, this is ADD's kicking in. Mm-hmm. Um, would you get rid of the Electoral College if you, if you were in the legislature, if you were in a position to? I would. And um, I think that the, you know, first of all, um, an acceptable, like maybe moving in the right direction would be a less, an electoral college that was evenly weighted. So currently every state gets the same number of electoral college, the number of votes that they have is their number of house seats 
plus their number of Senate seats, right? So right. If you have like, for example, uh, Nevada, which I believe only has one uh, statewide general house representative. Oh, no, no, um, no. Nevada doesn't. That's a huge state. Who is yeah. it that does? Let's say Vermont. Or, or Montana uh, or something like that. But anyway, so be, let's yeah. just say, but the, let's just say a state like only has like say three congressmen, uh, then they have five electoral votes. And if a Congress, and if a state has 20 congressmen, it has 22 electoral votes. But the nature of that is it benefits uh, low, low population states have represented more representation. If you got rid of that, for example, subtracted the two from each state, and just had them have the same number, just mm. so it's proportionate to their population. You'd be moving in the right direction. It would be small, more small D democratic. Mm. Um, but uh, I don't. I think the electoral college has failed us too many times. Where you ended up, I think the idea was you don't want to have like a regional president, right? You don't want to have someone that's who's part of it. But popular. you also want, and that's why I like the electoral college. It allows uh, smaller states to, you know. But now you effectively have that anyway. You know, you do. I mean, just look at, I mean, like when Democrats win, they're winning with the coasts. When Republicans and and part of the the Rust Belt, when Republicans win, uh, they're winning with the flyover country plus part of the Rust Belt. Right. But but here's the thing. You can't ignore Arizona. You can't ignore, um, you know, New Hampshire. You can't ignore those because now things have gotten... You can ignore Kansas. You can ignore... California. No, you can't. Well, you have to, if you're a Republican, you have to ignore California because you're not going to win. Oh, you're not going to win Kansas either if you're a Democrat. Mm. Yeah, you may be right. Wyoming, Montana. I mean, the point is that, like, I think I I do, I would rather see presidents forced to campaign and, and be interested in the politics of every state in the country, which they would. Um, If, you know, if you had a, I mean, I think what would happen with uh, a popular vote uh, only is you'd see more campaigning in major population centers, right? But, you know, you can, votes are, you should get votes wherever you can. And you might be able, you know, like I know from having done book tours, but like you can get a lot more bang for your buck. People are appreciative when you go to like Boise, uh, you know, in a way that they're not, they're, they're blasé if you go to Manhattan. You know, who cares? So you might, I don't know, it it just seems like it's anti-democratic. And, uh, you know, the, whoever gets the most votes should win the presidency, the end. I, so I think you get, so you're making get it too it. complicated. I'd get rid of it, yeah. Okay, well, I wouldn't. I kind of like it. But we can, yeah, we should, we should definitely like do a deeper dive on that. I just yeah. want to point out, by the way, about the, vaccine, the vaccines, uh, and you're right about the polio vaccine. Most people were, really into it and very receptive but there was an anti-vaccine campaign uh even in 1955 yeah the eisenhower administration was accused of uh (laughs) endorsing socialism uh for for even flirting with the idea of a vaccine mandate which they didn't they never mandated it at all it was like uh it was canada did but how do you not i mean the thing is how do you fight against something like that would make my kid you know, live in an iron lung forever. How do you fight against that and say, I think it's psychology, Scott. I think people think it's, you know, they don't really believe it because they can't see it. Viruses are, you know, bacteria, they're, they're invisible. You can't you really see think that's it. it. Wow. I really do. I mean, it's like, look, the very same people, if they could be vaccinated against, you know, biting dogs, <laughs> they, they would do that because it's like biting dogs are 
they see everyone's seen by seen biting dogs <laughs> you know it reminds me of there was um you know a friend of mine is the principal investigator for the new horizons mission to pluto and janine was reading about it because we both were lucky enough to be invited to the, the flyby years ago but she was reading about it and there's a there's actually a school of people i'm not making this up ted <laughs> that believes that those planets do not exist because you cannot see them with the naked eye <laughs> so neptune right. Venus, pluto do not exist because you can't so they don't see- believe they don't believe in um lens <laughs> or apparently physics optics you know that why there is a wobble in the orbit. Because you Saturn. can definitely see a big. You can you can with a decent telescope. You can see like Saturn or. Yes, well, not I Saturn. Have. Saturn you can see, but Uranus and Neptune you cannot, and Pluto you certainly can't. Yeah, I think I think I think Uranus you can see mm-hmm. at with a really not like. A, a, oh a, yes, a you can't know with a decent telescope. You can, but it's a you know it's a fuzzy blur. You know, but you can see it. Yeah, you know it's there. That could be home if they keep fucking up this planet. <laughs> it might be the right temperature, but it's a gla- isn't it a gas giant? So you would just sink in. We all are at this age. Everyone's going to just have houseboats. <laughs> hey, listen, I, that's all for me. Do you have anything you want to add to that? No, or? not at all, except uh, just a friendly reminder to you religious people. You're all deluded. Anyway, I'm Ted Rawl from the left. And uh, Scott stands from the right. And Ted, we'll pray for you. Always. Uh, where can we see your, where can we see your, where can we see all things Ted? All things Ted are, uh, you can go to my website, Ted Rawl online at Rawl.com, R-A-L-L.com. And I'll just leave it at that. Also a reminder to buy my latest book, The Stringer. It's a graphic novel. It's kind of cool. I hope you like it. It's awesome, by the way. No, it really is. It's a great read. Um, I would totally, I would totally uh, tell people buy that book. It's not that expensive. No, I mean you know, just uh, you can get a loan. Um, you can pay it off, <laughs> pay it off over time on your credit card. Maybe, maybe never pay it off. I don't care. Just is it part of the bill back better um, bill? Because maybe that. <laughs> yeah, it's buried in there, but we're waiting <laughs> to see if it passes. Yeah, <laughs> the Ted Rawls Stimulus Act of 2021. <laughs> And I, okay, you can catch my stuff at uh, gocomics.com slash Scott Stantis, one word, or gocomics.com slash Prickly City. Um, or you can see both Ted and I at counterpoint.com. You can subscribe. It's a subscription-based uh, cartoonist. Some of the best cartoonists in the country, two of them talking to you right now, are involved. It's really actually a, a very wonderful uh the thing for you to subscribe to so you may want to do that so it's also cool because the cartoonists actually explain their thinking behind the cartoon yeah it's really interesting the ones that actually take the time to write something um it's 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 fascinating i mean and you realize that cartoonists actually think this stuff through we don't just schlock it out generally (laughs) although it's hard to tell sometimes 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 and i'm i'm a schlocker sometimes myself me too who am am i to judge oh wait (laughs) we're not the job (laughs) <laughs> we're us yeah i love that All right, everybody. Like, you're so that's... judgy and unfair uh God, don't you love it when you hear that what's your point yeah it's like that's the job description asshole <laughs> <laughs> and i'm judging you for being stupid <laughs> and so don't be stupid and wait around until the next episode of the dmz america podcast i'm scott stannis with ted Rollins, and we'll see you next time